Welcome, everyone, to the latest episode of the Graw Pod. Doug Graw here. Welcome and happy to be back again with Gary Randall. Gary, welcome aboard. Hi, Doug. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. New year, new everything. Everybody's got these great optimisms of all the things that we're going to do differently in 2024. I refuse to change at all, and I think that I'm absolutely perfect and don't need to change one bit. So my resolution is just keep being me. That's the comment that I don't respond to, Doug. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see if my wife would agree with that comment or not. But one thing I did want to talk about this week on our episode, Gary, is something we've had a handful of questions about, and we do get questions about in a regular basis. And that relates to nuclear verdicts and so forth. Just saw last week or so Amazon get hit with a $45 million verdict in a motor vehicle accident and really had more to do, not really with the truckload side, but more in their final mile space. And it had to do with their delivery provider who was an independent motor carrier being involved in the accident and liability in their parlance, the DSP, and then liability for Amazon and within Amazon, two or three different entities. It really was an illustration of it's one accident and you think to yourself, one company's responsible for this, but the plaintiff's lawyer had success getting the jury to buy in that no, this is a lot of different companies, some of which are Amazon vendors, some of which are Amazon affiliates. Just want to talk a little bit about when you have an organization that has multiple businesses within it, what do you need to do? How do you keep the businesses separate? So when the big bad plaintiff's lawyer comes around, they can't get it to different businesses. And otherwise, for other reasons, you just keep those businesses separate. I think one of the things we see is companies seem to struggle with this idea at the floor level. They struggle with it from the standpoint of how they develop their processes, the who's going to do what. And then when they put people in place to handle those tasks, it's not clear always to the employee about this is who you work for because they're wearing multiple hats, they're handling different issues. And by doing that, they're probably representing more than just the one company. Then when something bad happens and questions start to get asked, it becomes pretty quickly clear that there is overlap and maybe this is one big company and maybe these aren't three separate entities as they are advertised. Yeah, I like your explanation there of referring to the floor and does it get executed correctly on the floor? And I think a lot of times when you're considering, hey, we're in this business, we're thinking of starting this other business, different legal entity for it and all that kind of stuff. To me, as you evaluate those decisions, you should be thinking really of three, maybe four areas. One is the money and taxes and do you have different ownership groups and all that kind of stuff among the different companies and how's the money all going to get divided? That is important and should be considered, no doubt about it. Number two is you should consider the law and legal liability and protecting assets and stuff like that. That should be a consideration. I'm not ranking these. I'm just listing them. Third would be the administration. Different businesses require different tax returns and financial statements and corporate record keeping and contracts and HR stuff and all this kind of stuff. There's administrative work that goes with it. And then fourth, to your point about the floor is people have to be able to go out and explain this, execute this, and respect the nuances that this is a different business on a day-to-day basis. You don't want to listen to just one of those points. You want to take all four into consideration because if you don't, you're going to make some mistakes somewhere along the line. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. 
So I think what we're really talking about is the reason to do it. The money is one issue, but the liabilities, the administrative side of it, that's really the structure of how you're going to expect your people to act when they're going about their daily tasks. And I think often what happens is a company will decide that they want to start a second company that is responsible for equipment. Well, what oftentimes happens is one of the best performers from that original company gets promoted or gets recognized and gets these new responsibilities at the new company. Unless there's a conscious effort, I think a lot of times it's hard for people to flip the switch and realize that I was working at company A, now I'm working for company B, and that makes a difference in how I need to handle things. So if the management structure and the processes aren't all in line to support that, then I think the work of your employees kind of gets into that gray zone, and then that opens up the door for these plaintiff attorneys as they start to do their due diligence. Yeah. And so let's let's talk about a pretty common separation or structure in the trucking industry. It's pretty common for trucking companies to have the asset arm, the motor carrier, and to have the logistics arm, the broker. So one of those businesses is putting it on their trucks and their trailers and delivering freight. And one of them is going out and finding other trucking companies to haul the freight. So one of the first things is trying to figure out how are we going to sell this to customers? So you interact with our customers' customers all the time. You want to make sure the customer understands we're a brand we're brand ABC and we're a good brand and you can trust us and all that kind of stuff. But also we're a brand with sub-brand A and sub-brand C and sub-brand C, broker A and carrier B. How do you go about on the floor making sure your customer understands what service you're providing, who you are, who they're doing business with? I think the first question is, why are we doing it? So in that example, we're doing it to increase our opportunity with a customer base. In other words, we're limited with the number of trucks we've got, but if we can start a logistics company and handle some of their business, that ceiling on those limitations gets a lot higher. There's a lot more opportunity for us. So we've got to understand the why, and that means that the people in the office or on the floor need to understand why we're doing it, but it also means that the customer needs to understand why we're doing it so that as we run into issues... The customer understands that, hey, that was not the company's truck that was laid on your delivery. That was one of the carriers that took a load through the brokerage arm. So when we start to trace loads, when we start to discuss issues, we've got to be crystal clear about whose equipment was that. And there has to be an understanding about whose level of responsibility goes where in order to work through those issues. No, you're exactly right. And I love what you said that you need to make sure people understand why you're doing it. There should be a business purpose to your point of we're setting up the brokerage entity because we want more freight and we think there's more things that we can do. We're setting up the equipment business because we think we can do more things with equipment. It gives us more flexibility. You know what? We have the ability to buy more trailers than we probably need just for our trucks. By doing this, maybe we can lease out some trailers. Maybe it'll make it easier for us to buy more trailers in bulk or buy more trucks in bulk or whatever the case may be is. Maybe you've got other investors that are coming in and they don't really want to be in the trucking business, but they want to be involved in the equipment leasing business with you. So there is a purpose to it. If people understand that, I think it makes it a lot easier for them to execute it on a day-to-day -day basis and then for them to be able to explain it and so forth. Oh, I agree. I mean, I think you have to be able to believe in something 
to defend it. And in order to believe in it, you have to understand the why question. You have to know why the company's going about it. And I think it's also important that belief to get people to buy into it and believe in it and so on. I know one challenge that the companies will run into internally as you start to set up two, three, four different businesses is you as the business owner, the business leader, you want to hold your managers, your employees accountable, responsible, and you want to reward them for good performance. So there's probably some kind of compensation component that is going to be tied to profitability or margin or something along those lines, something related to business performance. If we hit this metric, you're going to get why more dollars. Well, okay, how do those allocations work? And not just allocations, but okay, if brokerage is going to be getting these loads and they're going to be sending them to the asset side. Does brokerage get to keep a margin? It probably should because that's their business. What's that margin going to be and how's that going to impact the compensation to people who are rewarded based on company profit, company margin? And the same thing could be said on the asset side. I'm a believer in that sense. It's not that you have to show your full financial records to every one of your employees. I'm not suggesting that at all. But you have to be transparent enough that people trust that how the money flows makes sense as a business purpose. And then we're like, okay, yeah, I can trust that and I'm getting treated fairly. Yeah, they have to understand. They have to understand. And then they need to think about the fact, and a good manager will help them get to this point, is that if they feel like, for instance, there's a better opportunity on the brokerage side as a brokerage employee than there is as a truckload or a carrier employee, well, then as those opportunities come up, those managers need to be supportive of that, that if that's something the employee truly wants to do, they help them along that direction. Where it fails, I think, is that managers typically get protective of their best people. They don't want to lose their strongest folks. And so then they try to compete with that second business. And pretty soon their salary structure in their business is not aligned very well because they've been given increases to compete with a job that's a very different job than the one they offer. Yeah, it is a constant balancing act. We want separate businesses for business reasons. We want them to be treated as separate because, hey, we don't want the good and the bad that's happening over here to impact the good and the bad that's happening over here or over there. So we want them to be a little bit competitive, but we don't want them to be so competitive that we're poaching people and we're bad-mouthing the other side and people become untrustworthy or distrusting of how things are going on and feel misled and so forth. So it's critical, I think, for you as the top leaders, but then also to make sure you're getting by in your other layers of we are separate, but we play nice in the sandbox. Well, and you have to make sure that your director level or even your mid-level managers, that they understand that because it's easy for the original company creep to come in. And what I mean by that is, is the new company started because the original company has the finances to be able to do that. They see a benefit in doing that. They think for the overall organization, it's going to be a good thing. But if executive leadership isn't crystal clear about why are we doing this and how is it going to benefit the company and what role do you play, Mr. Mid-Level Manager, in helping us drive success with this company, if all those things aren't thought through and discussed and agreed upon, 
that's when you get in trouble because all of a sudden people start to build walls around their department or around their company. And they say, look, we're the original company. This is where the money came from to start you folks over there. And we're not going to give you all of our best people so you can go off and run and we become a training ground for you. Those kind of thoughts start to creep in when there's not clear understanding of the benefits of having the separate companies to begin with. So the organization needs to make sure that leadership from executive level leadership down to mid-level management, the leadership is clear about the benefits of having these other companies and how it's going to impact the business. Going back to what we said at the beginning about really there should be four considerations as you're thinking of starting a different business or a different legal entity is you might sit there and go with just your lawyer and go, yeah, well, we should put that into a different legal entity bucket and all that kind of stuff because of this reason or that reason. But then when you step back and go, okay, well, now I got to go explain this to everyone on the floor. And obviously people are smart. They can figure it out, but you don't want to make it hard for them. You don't want to make them have to stop and think it through all the time. Like, okay, now what was that business for? You really want to make it easy for them to do their work on a day-to-day basis without having to think through that kind of stuff and just to get it. So each business should have a clear purpose. I think that makes everything so much easier to keep these things separate and to have them hold up. As leaders, you can't be afraid to ask the questions that are going to come up about the purpose because somebody at one of the other companies is going to feel hurt or upset that something happened. And so as a leader, you can't get your mindset thinking that, well, I'm constantly defending this new company because then that conversation kind of turns sideways. As a leader, you've got to be able to just continually, repeatedly explain, here's why we did what we did and here's what we're hoping to accomplish with this new business. So to get into a little bit of the weeds here, let's talk about that carrier broker thing a little bit more. You talk about being able to clearly and repeatedly keep them separate. Some of the stuff's going to be outside of your control in operations, whether carrier operations or broker operations, because sometimes the customer is going to do what the customer is going to do. But to the extent you can, making sure your contract is in the right name, that the rate confirmations are in the right name, the load tenders, the bills of lading, the freight bills that get sent out, how you collect the money in, where the money goes within the books and all that kind of stuff. I tell folks, if you're really concerned about, we want to make sure these companies stay separate, the first thing is make sure the money is separate. And that includes, are your contracts in good shape? Are your rate cons in good shape? Are your bills of lading? Are your freight bills? Are your collections efforts? Are those things in good shape where it looks like this brokerage company stands alone from this carrier company? Yeah, they work together and they're friends and there's all sorts of collaboration. But at the end of the day, they each have their own profit and loss and legitimate revenue and expenses and all that kind of stuff. It starts there. Then the next thing is, legally speaking, do you have separate corporate formalities and boards? and managers and all that kind of stuff. How's your HR stuff? Are those things set up correctly? But it really does start, I think, to your point on the keeping things clear and keeping things simple. Do you make it clear and simple for your customers so that they can help you reinforce brokerage is brokerage, carrier is carrier? Yeah, and I think that's a critical point. So when something goes wrong, I'm the customer now. When something goes wrong, who do I talk to? If I keep calling Doug and Doug is working at the original company at the carrier, when in fact it was a brokerage issue, it becomes easy for Doug to get annoyed with those repetitive calls and maybe not do as good of a job in answering that call as we would want him to. In other words, it turns into, oh, that's those guys again. 
So pretty soon there really is no corporate face. It's a carrier face and a brokerage face. It doesn't take very long for the customer to realize, I don't want to get caught in the middle of this and I don't want to deal with this. So I'm going to take my business elsewhere where it's a little bit more understood and easier to work with. One of the biggest challenges when you start different companies is how do you maintain that ease of doing business? And that's what we all want, right? When we get into a business relationship or a transaction with some company, we want it to be easy. We go in there knowing what we want. We know what we want to pay or are close to what we want to pay. And it takes care of itself. It's an ease of doing business. And you can lose that quickly if you're not careful with that. Yeah. You don't want to make it hard for the customer to figure out who they're doing business with. But I got to give credit to Rob Mosley, very good attorney based in South Carolina. He's got a good firm. They're good folks. They do good work. Listening to him, I might argue he's the number one cargo guy. And listening to him speak one time at a conference, he made the comment of, I'm paraphrasing obviously, but something the effect of, I'm yet to depose a shipper who's admitted to working with a broker. The shipper will always say, well, I only work with assets. I only work with assets. Well, here's all these mountains of paperwork that say that's not a true statement, but he says that I'm sure there's a lot of truth in it, but there's a little bit of adjust to it. But the point I think that he's making and that I make based off of his example is you cannot control what someone else is going to say outside of your organization. But what you can do is you can make it clear in what you do on a day-to-day basis that, hey, this was my brokerage team This is their email signature block, makes it clear that this is the brokerage team. Look at the legalese at the bottom of it that says this is brokerage and we're not asset-based. There's links right here to our brokerage website, not our asset website. The rate confirmation sheet that we issued for this load is very clearly in our name as a broker, not in our name as a carrier, that you can say, I didn't hide this. This isn't somewhere in some boilerplate. We said it over and over again. You customer are dealing with Joe. Joe is with our brokerage. You're dealing business with brokerage. And I think that's words of wisdom. I think that is the best thing you can do to keep those companies separate and keep the business relationship clear. Yeah. And I also want to say we're spending a lot of time here talking about some of the things you can do administratively, procedurally, and all that kind of stuff, making sure the money makes sense. It's divided among the companies and legitimately paying for business expenses and collecting revenue, making sure you've got good contracts in place, making sure you've got good corporate records in place, making sure that you've got marketing materials that clearly delineate the different businesses and so on. All of those things are important, making sure you can explain the business purpose. But back to why we're bringing this topic up, and that's nuclear verdicts and motor vehicle accident liability and stuff like that. All of everything we've said is important. That doesn't take away from the importance of being responsibly insured. Now, that doesn't mean everybody in the world needs $100 million in insurance. The plaintiffs may think that everybody needs $100 million insurance. That's not right. It makes no sense. But having insurance, having good safety culture that recruits and coaches and develops and retains good drivers, an operations culture that supports safety, that encourages safety, that reinforces safety, 
that's the type of stuff that keeps nuclear verdicts at bay because you're trying to do the right thing. Safety is not anyone's number one priority. It shouldn't be your number one priority. It makes no sense for it to be number one priority because nothing is the number one priority. Every business out there wants to be a good employer. They want to make money. They want to be safe. They want to deliver a good product or a good service. They want to do all of those things. All of those things are important. Safety is one of them. So do the things that we're talking about related to keeping separation of your businesses. Do the things that help you prevent accidents. Do the things that help you be a good service provider. That's how you prevent nuclear verdicts. You don't put everything in just one of those buckets. Yeah, I think your point is you dot all the I's and you cross all the T's. And you try to do that repeatedly every single day, whether you have one company or whether you have multiple companies. It's funny, you and I have a mentor that I know you've heard it from him before. I've heard it from him before. He's a trucking company executive, trucking company owner. As I'm just listing off all the things that you should be doing as a trucking and logistics company, you sit there and go to yourself, man, how much easier some other businesses must be than this. <laughs> Trying to balance all this stuff, literally, physically, the moving assets all around for this. It's an awesome industry. It is a frustrating industry. It is a hard industry, but there's still some things you absolutely love about it. Well, the joy comes with when you see those three things all come together, right? If you're talking about an asset-based company, you see assets, you see process, and you see people, and it all comes together into a winning culture. That's the joy of it, because when that happens, that's magic. And then it is a very fun industry to be working in. I feel like there's a Vikings joke in there about winning culture, but I probably should stay away from that today. Well, you can make fun of my team if you'd like to, but I'll just remind you that we still have a chance to get into the playoffs at the time this recording is happening, albeit a slim chance. But probably the other thing to hang your hat on, Doug, the joy of being a sports fan is that we're 264 days away from opening Sunday in 2024. So even if this year doesn't end the way we want it to, there's always next year to look forward to. I thought you were going to say something better, like we're like 45 days away from opening day for baseball or whatever that number is. <laughs> That's the important number. As I shouldn't talk, yes, I live in Minnesota and I've almost lived in Minnesota longer than I lived in my home state of Iowa. But you can say is, hey, at least we have an NFL team, so... That's correct. <laughs> well, thanks for spending the time today, Gary. And I hopeful that the people have some good takeaways from our discussion today. Again, just love helping good trucking folks out however we can. And hopefully this was another episode that did that. We really enjoy doing this. We're excited to do a few more of these in 2024. Excited about what the year is. I know all of us want the freight market to turn faster and faster and doesn't quite seem to be turning fast enough. But I think there's some subtle signs here and there that it might be turning sooner rather than later. And hopefully those things come to fruition. In the meantime, definitely wish everyone a fantastic 2024, a safe 2024, a prosperous 2024. And we look forward to the next recordings. In the meantime, be safe, everyone. <laughs>